Welcome to another episode of Health Affairs This Week, the podcast where health affairs editors and guests talk about the health policy news of the week. I'm Chris Fleming. And I'm Michael Gerber. Uh, Chris, it's great to join you today. As you know, I'm a longtime listener, first-time co-host, so go easy on me. Uh, As usual, there's been no shortage of health policy news recently. While it got a little lost in the coverage of the politics of Tuesday night's State of the Union speech, much of the drama was actually about essential health care issues like Medicare, COVID-19, and drug prices. And here at Health Affairs, we also had a big week with the launch of Health Affairs Scholar, an open access journal of emerging and global health policy, which I know we're all excited about. We are indeed. And today, though, we're going to talk about another uh, development close to home. Uh, The uh, Health Affairs Spending Council released its report this past Friday after four years of deliberation. We have with us today, in fact, Laura Tolan, a senior editor at Health Affairs, who was the director of the council. Laura, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Our pleasure. Okay, Laura. um, In a minute, we'll get to everyone wants to hear, which is how we can address healthcare spending. But but if you can kick us off, tell us a little bit about the council, how it came to be, who was involved in it, and what its charge was. Sure. So the uh, Health Affairs Council on Healthcare Spending and Value was, um, which is its formal name, was really the brainchild of Bobby Dubois, um, who is a member of the Health Affairs Editorial Board and recently retired as the president of the National Pharmaceutical Council. Um, so it was Bobby and Alan, our editor in chief, really, who came up with this concept. They wanted to do something um, different from our usual um, activities at the journal. Um, to capitalize on the decades of scholarship that that we have had on healthcare spending. They wanted to try something different. This was a new model for us. And so they proposed um, doing a, having a, an expert council to make some recommendations. We, we knew that in selecting the council members that have that choosing the co-chairs was going to be really key. Um, so we had an internal process um, that resulted in us reaching out to and inviting um, former Senate Majority Leader Bill Frist and former FDA Commissioner Margaret Hamburg to be our co-chairs. And then working with them, uh, we identified a diverse group um, of council members from all parts of the, the healthcare ecosystem. Uh, so the charge that Health Affairs originally gave the council when they first met back in 2019 Um, was that they were to recommend ways that the United States can take a deliberate approach to moderating healthcare spending and growth while maximizing value. So just a little thing (laughs) we asked them to do. There was a fair amount of discussion initially in the group about whether healthcare spending and growth actually are too high and how would we know? Um, And they decided to answer that question really in terms of value um, and kind of modified their group, their, um, their group, goal to achieve higher value healthcare spending and growth in the United States. Thanks, Laura. So as we mentioned, the council released its report and its recommendations on Friday. Can you give us a real quick high level overview of those recommendations? In particular, my understanding is the council offered recommendations in four areas and also proposed four levers to pull in each area. Sure. Um, It's actually a little, it's the opposite of what you said. There were four levers and then the four sets of recommendations were intended to address those levers. Let me, let me start with the levers. The council, um, for the first half of its um, time together, the council worked um, to review the literature on um, spending and growth drivers and on the efficacy of interventions to address spending and growth. Um, and through that, the look at the literature, they identified four levers that they thought needed to be pulled as part of a comprehensive plan for moderating spending growth. 
And those were the levers of price. So how much is paid for care, volume, how, how much care is provided, mix. So that's about the intensity uh, of the type of care that's provided and then growth in all of those factors. So to, how fast do the price, volume and mix grow and change over time? They knew that in order to address healthcare spending growth in general, they were going to need to ha- pull all of those levers. And so um, wanting to, to, to pull all of those, they cast a really wide net for solutions and eventually settled in four categories, um, which together can pull all of those levers. And just as a quick little aside, I'm going to tell you what the four, the four um, categories of interventions were. Um, I, sh- I want to say first, there was actually one area where they, that they also thought was very important, um, which is looking at social determinants of health. They really immediately went there and thought, if we're going to talk about controlling spending, we need to talk about that. Um, we did coach them as a health affairs staff that we wanted them. Well, that's, of course, completely valid, and it's very important. We wanted this activity to really focus on the healthcare system itself. So we did try to kind of rein that in and say, let's look at things and inter- interventions that can be um, implemented within the healthcare delivery system itself. So with that, um, they settled on, after looking again at a really broad range of literature, they settled on four categories of, of interventions. Um, those were administrative streamlining, price controls and supports for competition, um, the setting of regional or state level spending growth targets, and the fourth one is continued um, experimentation and refinement of value-based payment. Um, there was also a sort of a fifth area that they that they also recognized was really, really critical to pulling these levers, um, which is focusing on low-value care and the need to reduce or eliminate the use of low-value care. Um, but they didn't make recommendations directly in that area because of the work of other expert groups that really have, have taken that on as their task. Um, but they did assume that there would be ongoing work um, around reducing low-value low uh, low care. Thanks, Laura. Um, that's uh, really interesting. I know we don't have enough time to get into all those recommendations and everything in depth today, and we'll be sure to put links for the full report in the show notes, as well as a link to uh, last Friday's briefing that we held, um, which I highly recommend listeners take a look at. But for now, can you highlight one or two noteworthy aspects of the council's work a little more in depth and anything? Um, also, I, I, I'm curious... It's quite a diverse group, as you mentioned, on the council. Um, and, and as we saw Tuesday night, consensus can be difficult um, right now. Were there any areas where they achieved consensus in ways that surprised you? Yeah. Um, well, first, I should, I should be clear that um, we didn't have a formal consensus process. Um, so we did work hard to, to bring everyone along and to come up with recommendations, and in particular to craft language that... Um, that everyone could get behind. Within the group, we had a real, like, a real diversity of views on kind of the roles of regulation versus market forces. Members wanted to pay a lot of deference to the fact that there are really different political climates in different states, and they didn't think it was going to be possible. They wanted to be practical, prevent solu- present solutions that would be politically feasible in a, in a variety of environments. So um, they wanted to have something useful to say regardless of what the political environment might be. So they phrase the recommendations in a way that really presents a range of solutions that would allow stakeholders, wherever they are in the country, to, to kind of start where they are, wherever that might be, whether there's a, you know, some states are really 
have gone far down the road with, say, spending growth target setting and others, that would be anathema. So, um, but that said, I, I, I guess I was a little bit surprised that um, in, in one area that there wasn't any objection, <laughs> which was um, this, the second category of interventions, which is price controls and supports for competition. So, um, so everybody agreed on the need for supports for competition, which did not surprise me. Everybody thought we needed competition to work better in our healthcare markets. But really, um, that they all came out um, in favor of at least a limited amount of, of price regulation or price control. I mean, they were, they were very careful about that and said it needed to happen in certain circumstances only. And I encourage you to read the report and see how they laid that out. They talked about um, price control as a, um, as a second choice if, if other things don't work. But um, th- I guess that did surprise me a little bit that everybody, no, nobody said no. Um, and there was a sense, one of the council members talked about it as, in terms of a need to put the camel's nose under the tent in terms of trying something in price control, again, in very limited circumstances. So, Cool. Well, I'm certainly excited to see how those recommendations are received and what progress can be made. Um, clearly, they're very complicated issues, and I have no doubt that the three of us could solve them today if we only had more time. But unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Um, don't forget, everyone, to check out the report and the recording of last week's briefing and stay tuned for more. And thanks again, Laura, for joining us. Thank you. And thanks from me as well uh, to Laura. And of course, thanks to our listeners. Uh, be sure to subscribe to Health Affairs This Week wherever you get your podcasts. 